There's a magnificent structure in Scotland called Edinburgh Castle. It was captured once in its history. Its defenders thought the side that had the steep rocky slope was inaccessible and impregnable. And so they did not set a sentinel on that side. In the gray mist of an early morning, the enemy crept up the slope, surprised the garrison, and captured the castle. Now think about that. Edinburgh Castle, in its entire history, was captured only once at its strongest point. Is there a spiritual lesson for us in this? Is there? Sometimes we are so confident in the spiritual battle with our enemy, Satan, that we fail to set a guard, don't we? We think that we are inaccessible and impregnable to his attacks, and therefore we do not take precautions. At the very point of our strength, Satan finds a weakness, and we are captured. This morning, the passage we are going to look at in our studies in the Gospel of Mark, we are going to see a lesson in discipleship failure. The disciples should have had power in spiritual warfare, but they did not. They failed miserably, and they were defeated by our spiritual enemy, Satan. And this passage that we are going to look at really raises a very simple question. What are the causes of failure in spiritual warfare, and what is the answer? And I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter 9, and I want to pick it up starting at verse 14 as we enter into this amazing experience of spiritual warfare. If you want to use the Bible in the chair in front of you, just find the second gospel in the New Testament. Turn to Mark chapter 9 and follow along as we read together, starting at verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, that is Jesus and the other three disciples, the inner circle that had been up on the mountain of transfiguration with our Lord, They saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. One of the saddest statements in all the Bible, followed by another sad statement. And he answered them, Oh, 
faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now right away, what we discover here is the cause of discipleship failure. They had no power for spiritual warfare. Let's take a moment, shall we, and just pray together. Oh God, we come to you today and we recognize that all the resources of grace and of Jesus Christ are available to us. That we might live the Christian life in strength, overcoming the evil that is within us and around us. And Lord, sometimes we have to confess the failure is ours because we have failed to prepare ourselves for the spiritual battle. And the reason that we were not able is because we have not done what Jesus has called us to. But today, help us to understand this And then help us to see that our answer, as always, is in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Now there's an amazing contrast between these verses and the first 13 verses of chapter 9. You remember Jesus has been on the mountain with the inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John, in in power, and in great glory. And now when they come down into the valley, here are the other nine disciples, and they are in weakness and defeat. Uh, Please see this contrast. The power that was up on the mountain should have been the power that was in the valley in this encounter with a demon-possessed man. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that part of the commission of the disciples was casting out demons. We saw that back in chapter 3. We know in chapter 6, they had actually been successful in this very thing. So they had been commissioned to cast out demons. They had been successful in casting out demons. And now we come here and they can't. And we say, why not? Did you notice what Jesus put his finger on? The disciples had failed to live by faith. He says in verse 19, O faithless generation. Did you notice that this included the disciples? It's one of the most discouraging statements that our Lord ever uttered. He is absolutely grieved by his lack of faith, and he is addressing all that are present, the scribes who had come to undermine him, the crowds who were watching, the disciples that should have had uh, success, and it is as though he is saying to his disciples, you are just like the rest, unbelieving unbelieving. Now as we look at this, we have to say, what are the symptoms of a lack of faith? How would I know, how would you know if we are failing to live by faith? Let's let's look at some of these symptoms, all right? 
The first one is self-sufficiency. It is seen in the arguing of the disciples with the scribes in verse 14. And Jesus comes down, verse 16, and he says, what are you arguing about? Do you see this, brothers and sisters? Having no spiritual power, the disciples are drawn into an argument. And we don't know exactly what the argument was about, but we can sort of put it together. Uh, it wouldn't surprise us if the scribes had said to the disciples, you are the representatives of Jesus. If you can't cast out these this demon, then Jesus can't cast out this demon. Maybe he's not the, the Messiah after all. Maybe he's just a phony like you are. And rather than show spiritual power, the disciples could only argue in return. Could we pause here for just a moment? Argumentativeness is one of the chief marks that we are not living by faith. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare, they are not fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And James says in chapter 4, what causes quarrels and fights amongst you? Is it not your lusts that wage war in your members? You see, the disciples were trying to do spiritual work by fleshly means. How many of you think that's going to work? Of course it is not. Of course it is not. When a person is quarrelsome, a quibbler, and a squabbler, what that reveals is they are operating in the flesh. Uh, let me share with you a central passage on this very thing that tells us what true spiritual power really is. Would you read with me? 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. Let's read it together. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Now look what this says is true about every servant of the Lord who has spiritual power. They are not quarrelsome. They are kind to all. They are able to influence by teaching the right way. And when they are wronged, they are patient. These are always the marks of true spiritual power. Now, think about this. When we are walking by faith, we know the Lord is working in our life. And we know that because we are experiencing spiritual power. So therefore, we know He is in control, and He will use our godly influence rather than our fleshly actions. 
And we know that we can be all of these things in His strength because this is where true spiritual power exists. But, but, if we are the opposite of these things, in our dealings with others, it reveals without any doubt we are not walking by faith, no matter how loud we may be proclaiming that we are. You see, true spiritual power is revealed in overcoming the evil in our lives as we walk by faith with Jesus. An argumentative spirit will always reveal self-sufficiency. Notice the second cause of their failure. They underestimated Satan's power. They underestimated his power. Look at verse 17 and 18, which is designed to show us the power of Satan. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. In the New Testament, whenever we encounter demon possession, it is always designed to show us the power of Satan. Peter, who was an eyewitness of this and is probably the source for Mark's account, would later describe Satan in these terms. He would say, be vigilant, be sober. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And whenever we come to encounters like this, we are learning about the power of Satan. I want you to notice in this passage the things that we learn. Number one, Satan is real. All the apostles who witnessed demon possessions wrote of the reality of Satan. They had no doubt. We learn that Satan is evil. In verse 25, Jesus calls him an unclean spirit. He hates God, and he opposes God with all cruelty. We learn that Satan is very, very powerful. Drop down to verse 20, and notice what happened when they brought the boy to Jesus. They brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy... And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Anybody in the medical field knows what this is a sign of. This is a sign of epilepsy. If it's been a while since you uh, have read up on epilepsy, let me read for you a little bit about epilepsy. Convulsions, foaming at the mouth, outcries, locked jaw, and bodily rigidity, followed by loss of consciousness, are the symptoms of grand mal seizures. 
Epilepsy is a disorder marked by disturbed electrical rhythms of the central nervous system, which is controlled by the brain. Now, here's what I want us to see. This demon gained access to the centers in the brain where seizures are induced. Any being who is capable of doing that is a powerful, powerful being. And then notice we learn that Satan is a destroyer. If you look down at uh, the passage, what happened, the father, speaking about this, said to him, it is often, in verse 22, cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. What we learn here is the goal of all demonic, uh, demonic activity is the total destruction of the image of God in human beings. Here's what we say to people. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Here's the opposite side. Satan hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. And as Christians, we are not to worry over Satan or be anxious about him, for the Bible does say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, but we better respect Satan, right? We better respect him. And he has many, many methods that are not as base and dehumanizing as demon possession. He can destroy people through pride, through culture, through learning, and through wealth. He has many, many methods. I met a man one day who said to me, my goal in life is to make as much money as I possibly can. There was a man whom, God, whom Satan was destroying. I had a friend one day sitting across from me, said to me, my goal in life is to accumulate as much knowledge as I possibly can, puffing him up more and more with pride. There was a man that Satan was destroying. My old professor Howard Hendricks had this to say. He said, in the battle with Satan, he is a greater student of us than we are of him. And because he's a greater student of us, the advantages are on his side. You see, the disciples underestimated the power of Satan, and they lost the battle with evil. Now, here's the third reason. Thirdly, in this passage, the disciples assumed spiritual power is automatic. Brothers and sisters, this is probably the main point for us. They made a fatal assumption. They assumed spiritual power is automatic. When Jesus put his finger on the problem, he said... Oh, faithless generation. Now what that means is the disciples, the nine that were down below in the valley, clearly were not operating by faith. And here's what they did. 
They assumed because they had power before, they could have power now. Let me ask a question. Is that a deadly assumption? We better believe it is. Assuming that because I am a Christian, I will have spiritual power, that is a big, big mistake. Assuming that because I have been strong in the past, I will be strong today, is a major error. There's a Southern Baptist Bible teacher by the name of James Brooks. He has a wonderful statement for all of us. This is what he says. Spiritual power is not something which once possessed will always be available. It must be maintained and renewed. Listen to that again. Spiritual power is not something which once possessed will always be available. It must be maintained and renewed. Did you notice how we sang that in the opening song? Through days of preparation, we sang, your grace has made us strong. How do we become strong in grace? It is through days of preparation. Spiritual power must be maintained and renewed if it is going to be available in the moment of crisis. And this was the deadly mistake of the disciples, assuming that the spiritual power would always be available, they failed to do the one thing that was essential, and that was live by faith. Now, I don't know about you, I've had enough of the reasons for failure. How about you? And I want to move on to the answer. And I think you know what the answer is. What's the answer always? The answer always is Jesus and his power over evil. And that is experienced by a life of faith. So as we move on in this story, and you know the outcome of the story, we see how a life of faith is the key to spiritual power. Let me share with you a a great statement by the wonderful evangelist, Watchman Nee, who suffered for his faith in the prisons of China. And this is what he said. The Christian experience from start to finish is a journey of faith. And he was exactly, exactly right. From start to finish, it is a journey of faith. And if we wonder what is involved in this journey to faith, well, that's exactly what Jesus took this father of this demon-possessed boy on. He, He took the father and he took the disciples on a journey to faith, 
This was a pilgrimage to learn what faith is all about. Let's read it and then notice what's involved. Maybe you're here today. And you've heard Christians talk about faith and and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe you would like to say, I'm not quite sure what it means to live a life of faith. Pastor, can you help me? I could do you no better than coming right here. So let's look at verses 19 to 29 and then notice what Jesus teaches us is involved in this most critical thing, living a life of faith. Look at verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What's involved in living by faith? Well, let's notice, all right? Number one, faith is what Jesus requires for power over evil. That's the thing that he put his finger on. Now, why is this? Why is this? Well, it's because faith is the point of contact between believers and God. In our adult Bible fellowship class, we are studying the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 11. In verse 6, God says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, faith is not a mechanical exercise, but it is an entrance into a relationship. And once that relationship is established with Jesus by faith, then His power can operate in our life because it's all about a relationship. So faith is what Jesus requires for power over evil. Number two. 
Faith is simply this. It is trusting what Jesus says he can do. Did you notice what happened to this man because of the disciples' failure? He became doubting. In verse 22, when he brings his son to Jesus, he says, If you can. He saw their weakness. Now he's doubting Jesus. By the way, can I just drop this in? Don't ever judge Jesus by the weakness in his followers. Don't ever do that. We all have feet of clay, every one of us. And if you follow me around long enough, you'll say, boy, I'm not quite sure Jesus is who he says he is. Don't judge him by the failures in his followers. We put our faith in him. And did you know what Jesus did? Did you notice this? He seized the man's words and he turned them back on him. He said, if you can, what do you mean if you can? All things are possible for one who believes. What Jesus is saying is this, it's not a matter of what I can do, it's a matter of will we trust him? All things are possible to God because God can do all things. Therefore, Jesus is saying, it's not that God is unwilling, it is that people are unbelieving. The problem is not God's power, the problem is our trusting Him for that power. And by the way, we need to be very careful that we keep this in context. This statement, all things are possible for one who believes, has been used for everything imaginable, hasn't it? You can have your miracle if you can believe. That is not what this is about at all. Did you notice what Jesus is promising? Power over evil in our life. That's what the promise is. In fact, did you notice what happened when the demon left the boy? Down in verses 26 and 27, the demon left him for dead... And Jesus came over, grabbed him by the hand, lifted him up, and he rose. Do you know what this is? This is an illustration of the spiritual resurrection power that Jesus brings into the life of every believer. You see, Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. He then rose again. And when he rose again, he overcame sin, death, and Satan. And now when he comes into our life, when we trust him by faith, he gives to us a spiritual resurrection and he begins a process whereby he works within us to overcome the evil in our lives. That's what the faith to believe is for. The greatest need of every single person here in this room is overcoming the evil in our own lives. And Jesus says to us, faith is trusting him for what he says he can do. Notice number three. Thirdly, faith admits inadequacy and relies on Jesus alone. Did you notice what this father said? I believe, 
Help my unbelief. Hey, don't we all feel this way? Don't we all feel this way? There is a mixture of faith and unbelief in every single one of us. We identify with this Father. Pastor John Calvin had a wonderful thing to say about this, often quoted. Let me read it for you. He declares that he believes, and yet he acknowledges himself to have unbelief. These two statements may appear to contradict each other, but there is none of us that does not experience both of them in ourselves. And all God's people said, absolutely. But, follow this. This reveals this man's faith, as weak as it was, was real. Because he looked from himself to Jesus. He looked from himself to Jesus. A few months ago, Jim Perko and I were witnessing to a young man. And as we shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the Lord could change his life, you know what he said to us? He said, I don't think I have enough faith. I've known other people who have said the same thing. I don't think I will have enough faith. What's the answer to that? It is not the size of our faith that matters. It is the size of our Savior that matters. As long as we look at ourselves and our little faith, we will not look to Jesus. But as soon as we look away from ourselves and look to Him, trusting Him, then He will enable us to believe. Do you see what we're learning here about faith? The very nature of faith is that it admits its weakness and relies on Jesus alone for the very help that is needed to believe. You know, I say this very sadly this morning. Some people will never receive anything from Jesus because they will never admit their weakness and they will never look to Him for the help that they need. And in doing so, they are denying the very definition and meaning of what it means to have faith. Now notice number four. Finally, faith is revealed through an ongoing life of dependence upon Jesus. There's an epilogue in this story. Afterwards, they're in the house, and the disciples want to know one question. Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus says to them, the spiritual warfare is so great that this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Notice the perceptiveness of Jesus. Apparently, the disciples had come to believe that the power was in themselves. But brothers and sisters, the power is not in us, it is in Jesus. 
And they thought Jesus' power could be turned on and off like a switch. I need power. I'm in a crisis. Switch. But I want you to notice this. Just as Jesus would not raise this boy out of demon possession without the dependence of the Father in faith, so spiritual power does not grow in those who live a life independent of Jesus. Since prayer is the chief means of showing dependence upon God, it is always required for spiritual power. Do you know this very lesson is taught to us in a famous man in the Old Testament? You remember what happened with the man Samson, do you not? The source of his power was in his Nazarite vow, symbolized by his long hair. When he compromised that vow and told Delilah the secret of his power, she cut his hair. And the Bible says he made the same fatal mistake. He thought the power was in him, not in the Lord, but it wasn't. And remember these words. The very same lesson. Read them with me. Judges 16.20 The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said... I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Not left him as a believer, but left him with spiritual power. It is the exact same lesson. The disciples failed to realize it was their relationship with Jesus that provided power. Taking that for granted, they became weak and helpless in the face of Satan. Never forget this. Being a Christian does not mean we will have instant spiritual power to deal with the evil within us when a crisis arises. Spiritual power comes by walking in faith and cultivating a relationship with Jesus. It is a journey of believing in Him loving Him, obeying Him more and more 
The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He was talking about this walk of dependence upon the Lord that strengthens the inner man so that in the battle with Satan, we are ready to overcome the evil within us. This is the great lesson of this wonderful story. Let's affirm together again, shall we, what it means to live by faith. Would you join me? And let's ask the Lord to make us people of faith. Let's read them together. Faith is what Jesus requires for power over evil. Faith is trusting what Jesus says he can do. Faith admits inadequacy and relies on Jesus alone. Faith is revealed through an ongoing life of dependence upon Jesus. Let's bow together in prayer, shall we? Just before we gather around the table of the Lord, if the Christian life is a journey of faith from beginning all the way to the end, have you begun that journey? Have you come to the place where you have admitted your weakness, your frailty, your doubts, your unbelief. And in spite of all of that, have turned to Jesus and said, Lord, help me to believe. Help me to believe. That is the very nature of faith. And if you have not begun that journey, Jesus is here today and He speaks to you. He said, all things are possible to those who believe. Would you turn to Him in faith today? And then for some of us today who have become lackadaisical in the journey. Thinking that somehow spiritual power is a mechanical thing and I can switch it on when I need it, regardless of whether I have been living a life of ongoing dependence upon the Lord. Maybe today, in the midst of your weakness, you realize, I'm a Samson. I'm the other nine disciples. And you've begun the journey of faith, but somewhere along the line, it's grown pretty slack and pretty meager. 
And the Lord is calling you to a deeper walk with Him. There are many avenues available here at Bethel to help you become a dependent disciple rather than an independent one. And whatever it is that you would need to begin living a life of faith, we will do all that we can to come alongside of you and to help you. But you must see your condition first. Lord, speak to our hearts. Draw us to yourself. Save souls for Jesus' strength. Strengthen those who need to walk closer. Thank you for this very special time around the table of the Lord that we might draw on his goodness and love. For Jesus' sake we ask it.